Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Renaissance Church. My name is Jared Ott. I'm the executive pastor. We are so glad that you're here with us this morning as we continue in this series called Courageous Stories of Faith. We've been going through various uh, Old Testament characters uh, throughout the Bible talking about their their stories of courage. And what I want to remind you again, as we remind you every week, is that while we can look at these stories of Old Testament characters, they apply to us here and now today. Because we need to have courage in various aspects. God uses people, just like he did in the Old Testament, like he does today. And it starts with an act of courage. It starts with an act of courage. And as we've been talking um, from time to time about the Old Testament, the timeline, the graphic, you've seen it a number of times. We know that we've been looking at various peoples at different points in life. And last week we looked at Rahab. The week before we looked at Gideon. And this week we look at Hannah, Hannah, not a major story, not one that doesn't take up a a ton of scripture, but one that's very powerful because Hannah shows us courage through prayer. You see, we can have courage through going through life, but the important part of this is that we speak to God and rely on him. He's the one that gives us courage so we can have courage through prayer. You know, I think of Hannah, I think of somebody who is dedicated to prayer. I also think of my wife. My wife, Deb, is one that's dedicated to prayer. She has a lot of courage in her prayer life. Many years ago, uh, before I was a senior pastor and executive pastor, I was leading a, a nonprofit parachurch ministry about abstinence. And we, my wife and I had the privilege of Uh, being part of this ministry for 10 plus years. We got to travel all over the world talking about abstinence. And I remember one point in life, we were in England with 40 students going all over England, Ireland, and Scotland talking about abstinence. Talk about courage, right? Courage to be there talking about abstinence, but courage with 40 students that their parents trusted us to take them with. And I remember there was a time on this journey that we were on a boat sailing from um, England to Ireland, and we had all the students with us, and I remember that the housing that we were supposed to go to fell through, and we couldn't go there. And my wife, who was in charge of the logistics, was on the phone with all these hotels and hostels on the boat calling all these folks believing in faith that God had a place for us. But here we are, 40 students, we're on a boat. We don't know where we're going to go when we get off. I was not doing well because I did not do well on boats. So I had taken about 18 Dramamine. So I was of no help to my wife. And she had a bag of quarters on one of those old-fashioned payphones. Kids, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you used to have a quarter and you'd put it in a slot and then you'd dial the number. So she had called all these folks, and she was down to her last quarter, I remember. I remember this so clear. She had such a peace. She said, you know what? I know that this is going to work. I know God has a place for us, and so she prayed. She didn't start a committee. She didn't gather all the other leaders. She prayed. She said, God, I know you got a place for us. I know you got a plan. We believe in faith that we have a place to go. In that last quarter, there was a hostel who said, you can come and have all your students stay here. That last quarter. Parents, if you're listening that I took your students, your kids were in good hands (laughs) uh, that entire trip. Because God was with us. 
And I think about that when I think of Hannah, Hannah who believed in something, who had a passion for something, who went to God in prayer. Hannah happens during the period of the judges, during the period of the judges. If you remember, as we talk about this Old Testament timeline time and time again, you have uh, Joshua and you led the folks through into the promised land. Now they're in the promised land and they're in the period of judges. And there's a, there's a pattern that goes around in judges. What happens is the people, the Israelites, they, they are following God for a time and then they fall away and then then a bunch of armies come in and will wipe them out, and then they cry out to God for a, a deliverer or a, a savior or something, and God, God gives them a judge or a leader, not like a judge who sits behind a desk, but like a, a, a warrior, a leader, and there's a number of judges throughout the scripture. Some are, some are, some are better than others. Some uh, speak more about it. We, we know more about them than others, but God raises these judges up. And what we have when we get to Hannah is we get a time of the period of Judges. There's no king in Israel yet. Solomon and David and Solomon, they're not there yet. And Israel is in a time of like confusion. There is wars going on. It's, it's very immoral. And it's time for a, 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 a man or a woman to rise up. Samson, if you remember the story of Samson, he had died some years ago. And now the country was kind of in, in, a, in a bit of chaos. Eli was the, was the priest at the time. And so Hannah, we come to Hannah in 1 Samuel. Hannah is the mother of Samuel. Hannah gives birth to Samuel. Samuel is the, the last judge. He's the one that appoints Saul as king and then David as king. Samuel is a great leader. I always say behind every great leader is a great mother, right? Behind every great man is a great mother. My mother must have been wonderful. No, I'm just kidding. But we have Hannah, someone of courage, someone of faith, someone of prayer. We think about Hannah, what she was dealing with was she was in a bit of a storm herself because she was married and she was unable to have children. Some of you know, women, what I'm talking about there and what that does to you. To be in, infertile. Some of you know that feeling of loss. Hannah was one of the fourth women in the, in the scriptures who was experienced infertility. Before Hannah, there was three others. There was Sarah, there was Rebecca, there was Rachel, and now Hannah was dealing with it as well. Hannah desperately wanted to have a child, not because it was going to fulfill some need in her own self. She wanted to have a child because she wanted to dedicate it back to God. She knew that that was what was God's best for her. She wanted to have a child not to fulfill some kind of uh, need to be a mother, but because she wanted God's best to be able to dedicate that child back to God. I love the fact that we here at Renaissance dedicate children. Why? Because it's parents stamping up and saying, listen, we know that this child is a child that God knit together and is perfect. And we want to dedicate that child back to God. It's a powerful thing because that is what Hannah has done. Hannah says, listen, it's not about wanting to uh, fill some kind of void in my life. It's because I, I want to be able to give it back to God. So 
Some of you have passions to be able to do that. Maybe some of you have a passion for being married. I know there's a number of single folks in our church. And some of you have a passion. You say, listen, I, I just want to be married. I have a passion to be married. I know that that's what that's God's best for my life, and I've been waiting. You're in your 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s, and you, you wonder, is God, is this God's plan for me? Hannah was in this deep anguish. We know that Hannah was married to a man named Elkanah, and Elkanah understood that Hannah was grieving. Because when we come to 1 Samuel, the very first chapter, Elkanah gives her a double portion. In other words, he understood that she was down, she was frustrated. Spouses, some of you know that your spouse is frustrated going through a storm in life, and what I want to tell you is that maybe God has you exactly where you need to be to minister and encourage your spouse going through this. Hannah. Hannah was so upset that she's crying out to God. We see when it comes to Hannah, and I hope you'll see this too, that first off, Hannah was a woman of passion. She was a woman of passion. As you know, as we've just talked about in 1 Samuel chapter 1, Elkanah understands her husband, is, she's in need of some encouragement. And Hannah goes to the temple, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 10 says, In her deep anguish, Hannah prays to the Lord, weeping bitterly. She made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you only look on your servant's misery and remember me and forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of, her li of his life and no razor will ever be on his head. She desired God's best for her because she wanted to dedicate a child back to God. She wasn't a reluctant mother. She wasn't a mother who saw a child as an intrusion. She was a godly mother. She wanted to give that child back to God. Some time ago, I read a story of a mother who gave birth to a child, and the child died. And she was reminiscing 10 years later and said, the tragedy was not the death of the child, but the tragedy was the death of motherhood. She could handle the fact that the little one had entered the presence of God, she had a greater time handling the fact that she couldn't be a mother. That was the heart of a woman who longs for a child. She was longing for a child. Some of you are longing for certain things in your life, longing for the illness to go away, longing for your potential spouse to come alongside, longing for a new job to line up. Some of you are longing for things in life. You have a passion and you're pouring out your heart to God. And that's exactly what Hannah did. Hannah was going through a tough time in life, but yet she knew where to turn because Hannah was a woman of prayer. She was a woman of prayer. You know, when storms come up in life, the question is, is where do you go? What do you do? Some of us have worries and anxieties and fears over certain things, and we try to ignore them, don't we? We try to run from them. We try to distract ourselves. We will turn to exercise, or we'll turn to work, or we'll turn to some kind of addiction that we have. Not Hannah. Hannah knew where to go. She was a woman of prayer. It says in verse 12, she kept on praying to the Lord. There she is in the temple. And Eli, remember, he's the high priest at the time, she, he observed her mouth. And Hannah was praying in her heart. Her lips were moving, but her voice has not heard. Eli thought she was drunk. Said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. 
Now, I got to stop there and say, Eli did not have the best judgment as a priest, right? <laughs> there she is. She's in the temple. She's praying so earnestly that he thinks she's drunk. I often wonder if Christian Andrews, your lead pastor, walked by my office and I was praying so loud that he thought I was drunk, right? No, it, Eli didn't even understand that somebody could be pouring out their heart so much that they, they couldn't be sober, and it must be something else, not Hannah. Hannah was so dedicated to prayer that it came off like she was drunk, like she was, she was not even in control of herself, but she was. She understood the brokenness that was there, and she knew where to turn. Years ago, I was asked to go um, to the National Prayer uh, in Congress in Washington. All these church leaders were gathering in Washington to pray, and I remember getting uh, an email flyer about this, and it said, come to the National Day of Prayer. It will be held at the Hyatt Regency, which includes restaurants, theaters, a jacuzzi, and a spa. I thought, isn't that great? Let's go pray, but let's go somewhere where we can relax as well. We have that mindset, don't we? Let's go somewhere where, where we don't have to think about it. We don't have to think about what's going on in life. No, not Hannah. She knew that prayers were powerful. She knew where to go first when storms came up. If you know the story of John Knox, John Knox was the founder of the Presbyterian Church in Scotland. And he was known for his prayer life, John Knox. And he prayed for those that were, were being oppressed as well as those who were doing the oppression. So John Knox was a man of prayer. In fact, this was the man who the Queen Mary of Scotland said, I feared John Knox's prayers more than an army of 10,000 men. That's powerful prayer. Prayer is that thing that we have that when we go to the Lord when we're struggling with something, we can go to him. A lot of us go through life and struggles and we try to ignore it. We try to forget about it. We try to think of something else. We try to distract us. Prayer is powerful. And we, we who know and love the Lord walk around with this kind of this, this power that we don't even tap into. We don't even go to the Lord. Not so with Hannah. Hannah knows where to go. Hannah knew where to go. Peter knew that too. You know, I struggled with anxieties when I was a child. A lot of worries. I shared this some time ago. I was always worried that I would be left somewhere by my parents. I struggled with that. I struggled with worry that, that something bad was going to happen. And I remember my mom, who was a wonderful woman of God, she always reminded me about 1 Peter 5.7. That was one of my life verses as a kid. And in the King James Version, it says this, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. That was a powerful verse of mine because it reminded me of where to go with my worries and fears and anxieties. This word here, casting all your care, is the Greek word for merima, which means to distract or divide the mind. We all know what it's like to worry about things, don't we, from time to time. Some of us, it's debilitating. We have worries and fears going on in life. In fact, I'd heard a story of a man who worried so much in life that he desperately wanted to simply ignore his burdens. So he decided to hire someone to do his worrying for him. He found a man 
who agreed to be his hired warrior for a salary of $200,000 a year. After the man accepted the job, the first question to his boss was, where are you going to get $200,000 a year? To which the boss replied, that's your worry, right? <laughs> we, we wish we could just forget about our worries. You know, in America, it's estimated that 40 million Americans deal with some kind of anxiety or worry costing us, the U.S. economy, $42 billion a year because we have these concerns in life. We have these passions or things that we want to see happen in life, like Hannah, or other things in life that we want or desire or, or wish could happen and we don't. We get these worries and anxieties. Charles Spurgeon said, anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but only empties today of its strength. We so focus on that. So focus on what's going to happen, the fears that surround. When Peter wrote, cast all your anxieties for him, you have to understand the timing of which he wrote it. 64 AD, that was the time of Nero, when Nero was going around persecuting Christians, killing Christians, those following after Christ, he would torture them and burn them. There was anxiety all around, and Peter's saying, no, listen, don't run, don't flee, you got to cast your cares on him. You have to understand, when it comes to worries and anxieties of life, we cannot run from them. We can't run from them. We can't try to mask them. We do this sometimes as parents with little kids, right? When the kids have an issue, they're concerned or worried, what do we do? We try to buy them things. At least that's what I tried to do. I tried to say, hey, how about some candy, right? You hurt your finger here? Let's not worry about the pain here. How about I get you a pony? Would that help you, right? We try to distract our kids. We do this today. We try to run from our fears, run from our anxieties, run from those things that we have going on in life. David's friends told him this. When David, there's a story in David when David becomes king and Saul becomes very jealous of David and is trying to attack David. His friends say, hey, listen, just go away, just flee. And in Psalm 11, David says this, he says, in the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to me, flee like a bird to the mountain? David realizes that if he goes to the mountain, his problems, his situation go with him. Some of you say, you know what? I've got all these issues in life. I'm not going to turn to the Lord. I'm going to turn to other things, whether it's working or drugs or alcohol or something else or exercise. You say, if I, just, if I don't have to deal with them right now, I'll be okay. David understood, go to the Lord. Hannah knew that too. That's why that song we just sang is so powerful, Psalm 23. He leads me beside the still waters, David says. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For you're with me, your rod, your staff, they comfort me. David knew where to go with his problems. Hannah knew where to go with her problems. But the key is this. We can know where to go with our worries and fears. We can't run from them. We turn to God, but we have to let them go. We have to let them go. When you cast, that's the word for eparipto, which means to throw away, to, to throw upon. You got to let them go. 
Some of us are praying day in and day out for God to take this thing away from you, this pain, this worry, this anxiety that you have, but you still are holding on to it. And you'll say to me, Jared, I've been praying about this for so long, and I just it's, it's gripping me, and I pray every single day. I said, you're praying, but you're not letting go. That's the problem. Charles Spurgeon, the same man who gave that great quote, talked about a story of a man walking down a high road with a backpack on. He was growing weary, and he was glad when somebody came along the road and asked him to take a seat with him. The gentleman noticed that he kept the, the pack, this, this pack on his shoulders. So he says, why don't you put the pack down? Why, sir, said the travel, I, I didn't want to adventure to impose. It was very kind of you to, to take me, and I, I could not expect for you to carry my pack as well. Why, said the friend, don't you see that whether your pack is on your back or off, I have offered to carry it. In other words, we walk around with this pack of these worries and anxieties on our shoulders, and we give them to God, but we still hold on to them. The key is you got to let them go. You got to let them go. Hannah went to the temple, casting her fears, her worries, her anxieties on the Lord. It wasn't until she let it go, realized it was in his hands, that there was a peace. That verse from Peter, 1 Peter 5, 7, is a powerful verse. And the reason I use the King James Version is because I feel like the translation's better. Because in the NIV, it says, cast all your anxieties on the Lord. The King James Version says, casting all your anxieties on the Lord. You say, what's the difference? The difference is, if it's casting, that means it's connected to the verse right before it. What's the verse right before it? It's 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves Therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time, casting all your anxieties on the Lord. In other words, you can't cast your anxiety unless you're first humble. You remember, uh, some of you won't know this, but there's a story in Luke 10. It was of Mary and Martha. And they're sisters, and they invite Jesus to come over, and he's there with the disciples. And in Luke 10... Martha's getting ready for all the preparations for the meal. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. And Mary gets really frustrated with her sister. She finally goes to Jesus and says, Listen, Jesus, tell my sister to help me. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted over many things. Mary has chosen what is better. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. It says, Martha, you're worried and you're upset, but Mary, Mary has done what is better. What is better? It's not the fact that there wasn't work to do. Mary was at the feet of Jesus exactly where she needed to be. She was in a humble position hearing from Jesus preaching and teaching. Martha was worried and upset. Mary was at the feet of Jesus. It's the same thing for us. If you want to cast your anxieties, you first have to be humble enough to say, okay, Jesus, I trust you to take all my concerns, my worries and fears. I, I, I give them to you and then I got to let them go. Casting all your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Because he's offered to carry you already. Because he loves you. And once you do, then you have a peace. Hannah was a woman of peace. She went to the temple praying. She leaves with the peace. 1 Samuel 1.17, Eli answered, Go in peace. May the God of Israel grant what you have asked. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. 
Hannah's name means grace. Isn't it great that she was a recipient of grace? She knew exactly that God had a plan for her life. She didn't know what that plan was. She just knew she had a passion. She was going through something, and God gave her a peace. Let me ask you a question. You're going through life, the storms of life, the fears, the worries that you have. Are you casting your fears on him, knowing that he cares for you, and are you letting him go? Because that's where the peace comes in. A peace that passes what? All understanding. We don't understand why if we don't know what's going to happen with our health situation, our job situation, whether or not we're going to be married, whether or not we're going to have children. We don't understand it. That's the peace that passes all understanding. Why? Because he cares for us. Hannah was a woman of peace. She was no longer downcast. But what's great is that Hannah also was a woman of promise. She went out and did exactly what God called her to do. Verse 20 says, In the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel because I asked the Lord for him. She made a vow, a promise. She said, God, I want what's best. I want to dedicate my child back to God. She did. She dedicated that child back to God. Samuel ended up taking what we call the Nazarite vow. A Nazarite vow is a vow that Jews would take, it was total consecration to God. No, uh, uh, you would never have your hair cut. You would never uh, be concerned for physical appearance. No drink, uh, alcohol, no strong drink, abstaining from banquets, celebrations. It was living a consecrated God-centered life. There are three people throughout the, the Bible that, t- that we know of that took full Nazarite vows. Samson was one, John the Baptist was another, and Samuel was the third. Samuel went and lived at the temple. Samuel fulfilled the promises that God had for his life, but it started with the courage of a mother who said, I want to fulfill what God's calling me to do. Some of you have a passion for things in life. Maybe you're not going through a trial right now, but God's placing something on your heart right now, and he's placing it there, and it's a matter of whether or not you're going to act on it. A few weeks ago, I was talking to somebody here in the church who said, Jared, I've been really feeling like God's calling me to do something for a long time. I've been praying about it. I have a peace about it. I'm just not sure what to do. And I said, then you need to do it. Some folks are starting a uh, discussion group here this fall. And they said, they'll say to me, Jared, I've been wanting to do something for a long time. I have a passion to open up my home or to teach others. I'm going to do it. That's courage. That's courage. Courage that comes through prayer. Isn't it wonderful to know that we can come to the Lord in prayer for him to fulfill his plan and purpose for our lives, just like he did for Hannah, just like he did for Samuel, just like he's doing for you. In a few minutes, the band's going to come and we're going to sing a great song, Lord, I Need You. It's a powerful song because it reminds us of how much we need the Lord on a regular basis. Whether we're going through trials, whether we're going through some tough stuff, or whether things are good and we just want God's best for our lives. We just want to be used by God. Say, Lord, we need you. I was talking to somebody after the, the first service who was telling me, didn't like their job very much, but they know that God's got a plan for them and their job to be a light to those people, to tell others about who he is. That's the passion, and we prayed for courage to do so. 
And she's going to have to go back to the Lord every single day and ask for his help in this. But isn't it great to know that because the Lord loves us, he's here for us. That's why he died on the cross. That's why we take communion. Because he died for us so that we can have a relationship with him. Because before he died, there was separation between us and him. Something had to die. Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Jesus, who loves us, who wants to be with us, died on the cross for you, for me, so that we can have a relationship with him. So we can go to him. So we can pray to him. You know, somebody once said, be careful what you pray for, because God will give it to you. And I think that's ridiculous. Because if you don't need it, he's not going to give it. He loves you too much to give you the wrong answer. Prayer is only as good as God is, but since God is so good, so is prayer. Prayer works because he works. Prayer changes things because God changes things. Prayer makes a difference because God determines to make a difference. Prayer matters because you matter to God. Prayer matters because you matter to God. Just like Hannah mattered to God, just like Samuel mattered to God, just like David mattered to God, you matter to God as well. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you that we can say with confidence and assurance that you love us. And Lord, we need you. We need you every day to get through the the tough times in life. Some of us are dealing with some tough stuff. We want to have children. We want to be married. We want to have uh, a different outlook on life. We want to have a different job. We want to have different things, Lord. We want different stuff. And Lord, we need you. We need you in major ways to give, have us have that peace, Lord. Lord, give us that peace, knowing that you are in control. And Lord, as we cast our cares upon you, help us to remember to be humble before you, knowing that you're in control because you love us. We thank you and we praise you. We give you all this. And we ask all this in your precious and holy name.